Well, I'm really thankful to be preaching on this passage today. Um, Melissa and I, you may have noticed, we're out of town last weekend. We were participating in something called the Institute for Cross-Cultural Mission. It's a three-year program that we are in that takes place in Washington, D.C., and the goal of it is to help the church on earth reflect the diversity of the church in God's kingdom. Um, and in this passage that we just read, John is speaking about what we've been studying the last few weeks, about this relational reality of the Christian life. It's maybe, I don't know if you remember, we spoke on this two Sundays ago, that uh, when you're a Christian, God's love impacts you so that loved people love others, right? People who know the love of God, when you have truly experienced the love of God for yourself, then you're going to be someone who goes out and loves other people, especially, in this case, he's talking about your brothers and sisters in Christ. So, now I think that's an idea we like. We like the idea that, of loving our brothers and sisters. We like the idea of loving one another. But, in practice, the church, aren't we, aren't we great at emphasizing our differences? Aren't we great at, at talking about our lines of distinction? And the things that keep us apart. I recently have been reading this book on unity in the church. And the author uh, shared a, a joke from the comedian Emo Phillips. I don't know if any of you remember him. He was popular a few decades ago. He's, he's still around. But um, she, she, the joke went like this. He said, I was, I was walking down the street the other day and I came upon... This man who was standing on the edge of a bridge, ready to jump off. And I came up to him and I said, no, 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 don't do it. And he said, why? What is there to live for? And I said, well, are you, are you religious? And he said, yeah. Well, me too. Are you a Christian or a Buddhist? Well, I'm a Christian. He said, oh, well, me too. Are you Protestant or are you Catholic? I'm Protestant. Oh, well, me too. Are you a Presbyterian or are you a Baptist? He said, I'm a Baptist. Oh, oh, well, me too. Are you a, a traditionalist Baptist or are you a Reformed Baptist? He said, oh, I'm a Reformed Baptist. Oh, me too. Are you a Reformed Baptist from the Reformation of 1879 or a Reformed Baptist from the Reformation of 1915? And he said, I'm a Reformed Baptist from the Reformation of 1915. And he said, die, you heretic. <laughs> it's a funny joke, right? It's, it's, it's funny because it's so true. Right? It's, it's funny because it's so true. It's too real. The dividing lines of the church are many. And we fail to really love one another well. And so as we look at this passage today, I want us to ask three questions. Who exactly am I called to love? Who am I called to love? What keeps us apart? And then where do we begin? So let's talk about who we're called to love. Verse 20 of our passage is really where I want to camp out most of the time today. Verse 20 towards the end, it says, If anyone 
Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen, cannot love God whom they have not seen. Now, in this part of the letter, John is addressing primarily a Christian audience. He's, he's talking to the church. He's, he starts this paragraph off saying, Beloved, dear friends. Um, this section is aimed at the church. Now, I, I say that um, knowing that maybe some of you here aren't Christians. Maybe some of you here are just uh, exploring your faith. And, and uh, I hope that there's something in here for you as well. In fact, I'm, I'm sure there is. I want to encourage you to stick with us and listen to what it has to say. Because I think through this, we'll all see how God loves his people and even how he specifically loves you. But it's important for us to know that in this context, when he's talking about loving your brothers and sisters, he's talking about other people in the body of Christ. He's talking about people who scripture says were once strangers and aliens, but now have been brought into the household of God. And so we use this family language to describe each other because we all are connected in Christ. We are all brothers and sisters. We are all members of this same family. Now let me ask you about that term. When you think about your brother, your sister in Christ, who comes to mind first? Maybe it's somebody who's really close to you. Maybe it's somebody in this room. One of your dearest friends. Or maybe it's somebody in a, a church back home where you grew up from when you were a child. When we think about our brothers and sisters, we tend to think about someone that, that shares a lot in common with us. And then if we think a little bit more about it, we might start thinking of, well, the people who have my exact same theology or my same cultural background or are a part of my same denomination. But whenever Jesus faced a question like this, he was in the business of broadening our definitions. For example, Luke chapter 10. Do you remember this story? Jesus is teaching to a crowd and it says an expert in the law comes to him and asks him what the greatest commandment is. And Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, and your strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then we find out that this man, Luke tells us, this expert in the law, in the crowd, seeking to justify himself, then he asks a very similar question. A question that's a lot like, who are my brothers and sisters? He says, who is my neighbor? Yes. And that leads Jesus to tell the parable of the Good Samaritan. I hope you're familiar with that story, but the basic summary is there is a man who is left beaten, left for dead on the side of the road, and first uh, a Levite passes him by, this holy man who worked in the temple. And then secondly, a priest passes him by, another deeply religious man. But then a Samaritan comes, who was uh, a social outcast, who was looked down upon him, who was looked down upon, and this, this guy, the Samaritan, takes the time to, to slow down, 
to bandage this man's wounds, to take him somewhere where he knows that he would be safe. He gives up his time. He gives up his energy. He gives up his money to make sure this guy is going to be taken care of. And it's an interesting story. It's, it's, one of the, it's an extremely important parable. But, but what's most interesting about it are the figures that Jesus uses to tell the story, right? He, he picks this Samaritan as the example. Yes. Not the priest, not the Levite. Now those people, they would have been a lot more like the law expert, the expert in the religious law who was asking the question. Those are the people he would be looking to identify with, the priest and the Levite. But instead, he chooses this Samaritan. Now, we usually talk about that story uh, to teach the general principle that, that we need to love everybody around us, that everyone is our neighbor, and that is true. But Jesus, when he uses the example of the Samaritan, this guy who, in his day, he was considered as, as somebody who came from a racially mixed group of people. He was kind of a half-Jewish guy, half-Gentile. He had some pretty big theological differences from this expert in the law. What? By giving this Samaritan as the example, Jesus is also forcing the law expert to see him as his brother. Right? It's not a surprise that someone would have gone to help the injured man on the side of the road. Of course they would have expected that. But that the Samaritan, with his bad theology, with his strange culture, with his low status, that that was the man Jesus chose to be the example, that's the point. Now, so what began with this, this question, who is my neighbor? That's, that's what led Jesus to tell this story. What about the question we're thinking about today in, in 1 John? Who is my brother and sister? How do you think Jesus might respond if you were to ask him that question? Jesus, who is my brother and sister? Who am I supposed to love? Or think about it this way. What example might he choose for you? What type of Christian is it who you consider less than the other ones? Maybe it would be the dispensationalist Baptist or the politically liberal Christian. Or maybe it's the politically conservative Christian. Maybe it's the charismatic Pentecostal. Or maybe it's the uptight, emotionless Christian. Who is that Christian? Where do you draw the line? Where do you, where do you look at, at the other group and, and you, you make the distinction between us and them? Now let's go back to our letter because where John makes that distinction, where he draws that line, is maybe a little shocking. Verse 15, he says, If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them, and they in God. Let me read that one more time. He says, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them, 
and they in God. He says everybody who fits that criteria, everybody who looks at Jesus and says he is the Son of God, he is the only Savior of sinners, if they're willing to say that, then they are your brothers and sisters. They are people who God has has told us we're going to be with them forever. And he says if we can look at those brothers and sisters and not love them, then we might be lying about our faith. So here's my next question. If that's who our brothers and sisters are, if we really are united with everybody who would proclaim that Jesus is Lord, that He's the Son of God, then why is the church so chopped up? Why is this church so disjointed, so divided, And I'm not just talking about theology. I mean, it's divided culturally. It's divided racially. What is keeping brothers and sisters apart? What is it that's keeping brothers and sisters apart? That's the second question I want us to look at. Okay, so this is a sermon, right? So, you know, generally where sermons tend to go. You know, if I say what's keeping us apart, you're probably all thinking, well, sin, right? Sin is what's and yes, of course, sin. Sin is what's keeping us apart. That's, that's the simple answer. But I, I think we need to be careful when, we, when we're looking at uh, our situation because um, I don't think we're just talking about individual sin. You know, we as Christians, we believe that when the fall took place, it wasn't just one individual who was injured by it, but it was all of creation. Right? It wasn't just Adam and Eve who were going to die, but it was also that from now on, the world was going to be a fallen and broken place. That work was going to be toilsome. That there would be pain in childbearing. That there would be conflict in relationship. That there was going to be this general distortion and destruction throughout all of creation. And so that means now... Living in a world that is no longer the way it's supposed to be. A world that is not the way God created it to be, but has been distorted by our sin. It means that actually there's going to be, there's going to be some ways that, that everybody acts. Some things that, that everyone instinctively wants to do that brings us harm. There are some, uh, some things that that we all just assume that will naturally enhance our division and will lead us to more conflict. You know, maybe you're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> what, what do you mean? Well, here's what I mean. I was recently, like I said, I was reading this book on unity in the church. And it was written by a Christian, but who, she was also a social psychologist. And so she was taking all this knowledge that she had amassed in her studies and applying it to her experience as a Christian in the church. And she pointed out some very common uh, observable phenomenon that actually impact the church pretty deeply. And I want to share a couple of those with you because I found them to be really helpful. The first one she mentioned was the... Hold on, i got to look up the right word here. I don't want to say the wrong thing. I know we got some real experts in here, not me. Um, it is the... Uh, Outgroup homogeneity 
principle. Now, my, um, the outgroup homogeneity principle. Now, my, my father-in-law, he would have said that's a $5 word. Um, it's, but I'll say that the idea behind it is, is pretty simple. It's the idea that when we see the people like us, we see them as a unique people with unique desires. But when we think about the people outside of our group, we say they're all the same. And to prove this, they did a little a study where they interviewed uh, a group of people, in, uh, college students. And they asked them, what are people like who are 60 and above? And as you can probably imagine, they had a list of ways to describe all people who are 60 and above. Well, you know, they, they like oldies music. They don't like people on their front lawns. And they like, to, they like to watch daytime TV, right? A lot of Judge Judy. <laughs> but then when you ask them, but then when you say, hey, hey, what about the, what about the 20-year-olds? What about you guys? What is your group like? Well, they said, oh, well, you can't put us in a box. You know, there's no one kind of, of college. You know, there's just, we have different interests. And then, of course, you can probably guess. Turn the tables and go to the group of people 60 and above and say, what are millennials like? And, well, they have an answer, right? Well, millennials, they are lazy. They are overly sensitive. They are too concerned with politically correctness. And then we say, well, what is your group like? And they say, oh, well, you know, we're just so different. You know, you can't, you can't put us in a box. There's too many, too many different kinds of us. The point is this. We tend to do that, right? We tend to see our group as being unique, as being varied. And we seem to see outside groups as all being the same. And inside the church, when that happens in the church, the impact is we tend to dismiss people that Scripture says are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we do it based off of stereotypes. We do it based off the things we know about their group. We see a Samaritan. And that's all we see. We make judgments, we make presumptions based on what we know about all Samaritans and we draw a line between us and them. The second term that she uses that I thought was pretty interesting is the gold standard effect. And this one's not so complicated sounding. It's the simple idea that, well, there are plenty of good ways to do things. But our way's the best. Right? When I think about this principle, I am reminded of a woman who I may or may not be related to by marriage. And uh, her, her style of loading the dishwasher. <laughs> right? There are, there are plenty of good ways to load the dishwasher. But there is one way that's the best. <laughs> And this way is the way that we should all be striving for. It is the gold standard. Now I'll say, when we're, we're talking about dishwashing, it's really not a big deal, right? It's a small thing. But I, if I'm being honest, our way is the best could be the slogan for a lot of churches. It could be the slogan for a lot of denominations. 
We say, well, the church down the street, the church across the street, they're full of brothers and sisters, and we love them, but you know, they do a lot of good things. But they don't love the poor like we do. You know, they do a lot of good things, but they, they don't sing those old, robust hymns. They do a lot of good things, but, but they don't worship with feeling like we do. They don't know the confessions the way that we do. Whatever it is. See, this is, what I'm saying is this is one of the realities of being a human being. This is, this is part of living in a fallen world. We can't help but think this way. We all think this way, even if you're not ready to admit it. We all think this way. We see our group as the best. And we can enhance, we can even exaggerate our distinctions to prove it. Instead of seeing those people down the street as brothers and sisters, instead of looking at those Christians in that other building over there and saying, us, we say them. And now I want to be careful here, right? I just, it's worth saying, I'm not... I'm not trying to say there are no important distinctions in the church. I, I'm a, a Presbyterian pastor, and I had to jump through a lot of hoops to become a Presbyterian pastor. I had to take a lot of tests. I had to go through a bunch of exams. I had to go through schooling and read a bunch of books. And, and I did that because I honestly believe the doctrine that I studied. I, I believed it was worth the time that was going to take. However... As I was thinking about this gold standard effect, and I'm thinking about what's happening here in this room, yeah. as I'm thinking about what's taking place in our church, mm. I started to, to worry uh -huh. that if we keep thinking, my group is the best, mm. we're doomed. If we keep thinking that, that, that my way is the best, we're never going to make the transition from I go to the Boylston Church and I go to Christ the King. We're never going to make the move from worshiping with, with them to just coming together and, and worshiping as us. Amen. Amen. We need to become... Brothers and sisters who make up one body. And if we don't take the time to move beyond some of those stereotypes of the outside group and really get to know each other as, as individuals, to find out how we're uniquely loved by God and what He has been doing in each of our lives. If we keep thinking that our way is the gold standard, if we let these things keep us apart, yes. then we're never going to start living and loving the way Scripture says that we should. So, where do we begin? You know, there's a lot of stuff I could say about this. There's, there's more terms I could throw out there. There's, there's certainly, it's a more complicated issue than I've presented it. There's lots more to say, but but for now, I just, I want to put it this way. Jamaica Plain, the neighborhood where we are located, is a neighborhood that often touts its diversity. Right? We, we celebrate the different 
races and classes and cultures and types of people who live here. We have parades where we walk through the streets together. Yes. But here's the truth. After those celebrations, we tend to just go back to our lives. Yes. Where we hang out with people who are just like us all the time. But the church, the church is meant to be different than that. Yes. The church is meant to be different than that because the kingdom of God is different than that. Amen. If God's kingdom is what John says it is, it's the people who say Jesus is the Son of God. It's the people who bear the name Christian first. To define who they are. Well. If the kingdom is this, like, it, like, it, like John tells us in the book of Revelation. Do you remember this? The vision he has, Revelation chapter 7, he says, And after this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb and they were wearing white robes and they were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne yes. and to the Lamb yes. that's the kingdom of God it is a people who are unified and yet they're still distinct right they didn't just become kind of one blob of indistinguishable people but you can see who they are. You can see where they've come from. It's this beautiful kaleidoscope of distinct peoples. But being in Christ has brought them together. Being in Christ brings together the whole world in, in real unity. Not like the neighborhood parades, but in real relational unity. Real love and connection that lasts for eternity. Uh -huh. Let me put it this way. When we are with Jesus, yes. we are not just going to be around Reformed Presbyterians. We're not just going to be around independent Congregationalists. In that day, our gold standard, well. our our way is the best slogan is going to seem foolish. In that day, there will only be one gold standard. Jesus. We're going to be worshiping Him. And in that day, I'm going to be honest, I believe, honestly, that in that day, we're, we're all going to find out we were wrong about some things. Yeah. Yes. Right? Because we have, there is no culture on earth that is free from the impact of sin. There is no tradition, there is no denomination that has it 100% right. Because we live in a fallen world. Now, I'd make a joke here about how, I mean, I think we got it 99% right or something. But, but the truth is, I hope that's the case. I hope that the reason we're divided is because we're trying to be faithful. I hope the reason we have distinctions is because we genuinely are desiring to be faithful to the Word of God trying to glorify Him in the way that we are, are describing Him and explaining scriptures and the things that we believe. I, I certainly think that's the case in this church. But Revelation shows us 
that when Jesus comes, we will let go of all the us and them. We're just going to be brothers and sisters. So here's my big question for us. In this room, where we actually, we're already getting a taste of heaven, aren't we? God is in this moment already bringing together two different groups of Christians across all different yes. kinds yes. of barriers. Still is. Yes. yes. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Why wait until then? Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Why not right now start thinking of ourselves Hallelujah. as us? I realize we have two church names and this doesn't help. <laughs> but we're working on this. We're, we're, we're taking care of these things. But I want to say, what kind of powerful testimony would this be? So let me, let me close by putting it this way. Now I asked you that question, what kind of Christian rubs you the wrong way? What tradition, what practice, Amen. what style of music, what person would Jesus have used to be your example in the Good Samaritan story? Think of, think of that person. Think of that group. Whatever it is. Amen. Here's the secret to that story. See, back in that day, back in that time, the Samaritan, he was the one who was despised. And when that lawyer, that expert in the religious law, when he started to identify with that Samaritan, when he started to see him, see himself in the Samaritan, it changed everything. Yes, yes. And it's the same for us because, I mean, can't you see when you, when you look at the story, don't you realize that, that the good Samaritan is a picture of Jesus as well? Right? Jesus, was he not the ultimate good Samaritan? He was the one who was truly despised and rejected. He was the one who was called a liar, who was treated as a heretic. Uh -huh. And like the Samaritan, he was the one who gave everything he had. Uh -huh. On the cross, he gave his very life to reverse the devastation uh -huh. and the division that had been caused by the fall. And now... Our invitation is to see ourselves in Him. See, when we identify in Him, when we see Him as our brother, as our Savior, when we recognize that on the cross He was standing in our place, it changes everything. Faith in Christ, it doesn't just change the way you think about the world. We don't just become more accepting of other people like, like Jesus was teaching that lawyer to do. But it actually changes who we are. There's power in the cross. Our passage, it says that whoever declares that Jesus is the Son of God, it says God lives in them. And they in God. His Spirit comes into us and gives us a new identity. We literally become people united with others. He puts Hallelujah. us in the same family. He gives us a new name, son of God, daughter of God. And then he puts us on this road, this road that is a road to eternal life, 
where Paul tells us one day it's going to climax when, when all things are brought together and things in heaven and things on earth are going to be brought together in Christ. Do you believe that? So my challenge for us today is we're going to come here and we're going to celebrate this meal. That at the heart of it is speaking of our unity, right? We're one body, and so we have one loaf. I want you to take a moment to ask God to search your heart. To show you what it is that, that might threaten to keep us apart. So that he might expose it and draw us together. And not just on Sunday morning, right? Pray that He would draw us together and, and that He would truly make us a people like we've been talking about, right? Amen. Who are together Amen. for the kingdom. Yes. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your Word. And, and I, I pray even now as I preach it, um, Lord, that, that anything I've said... That most of all, your power and your glory and your cross will be lifted up. I pray that we would not cling to our cultures, but Lord, that we would cling to you. And, and Lord, we need your eyes to be able to see where those boundaries are, because we can't on our own. Lord, I pray that you would help us to hold our gold standards loosely. To start to love people the way that you love them. Father, I pray that you might meet with us now as we come to this table. I pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.